Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. So uh, we're getting towards the end of the book of Romans, and when we get to chapter 14 and verse, sorry, chapter 15 and verse 13, which we looked at last week, um, we basically come to the end of Paul's teaching section of the letter, where he's been setting out the gospel for these Romans. Uh, and throughout the book then, in these 15 chapters, he's been really stressing the importance of coming to terms with what the gospel is. If we understand the gospel correctly, then it will sort out all the lot of problems in our lives. And particularly, Paul's been interested in some of the problems that Romans, with regards to Jews and Gentiles, and they haven't been getting along well together. And so, um, he stresses the importance of understanding the gospel, because if we understand that we're both reconciled through one basis, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we've got no basis for boasting over one another. And if we recognise that we've been both brought into one body in Christ Jesus, then we're dependent upon one another. And so the gospel is the answer to the problems that these Roman Christians have been facing. And he's been giving quite stern instructions to them in the book of Romans, and of course when anybody gives us very stern instructions, well, we begin to wonder, well, what authority do they have? to give us those kinds of instructions. If anybody tries to tell us something, we'll say, that's very nice. And especially for somebody that we've never met before, then we'll say, well, well, who are you? And what gives you the right to tell me these things with such authority? Well, Paul, of course, Paul, he's already established his authority from the very outset of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, he explains he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. Um, but then, in this latter part of Romans chapter 15, he returned to that idea again, to hammer home his authority, just who he is. He's not just anybody just writing to give them a little bit of advice. He's been giving a very special responsibility by God himself. And so he wraps up his argument in the latter part of chapter 15 by explaining just who he is and the ministry that has been given to him by God. But not only is he establishing his authority here, but he's trying to drum up support for his work as well. He's seeking to spread the gospel, and he needs the help of the Romans. He can't do it just by himself. And so he's going to be asking for their material support and for their prayerful support, because all of this is necessary if he's going to fulfill the ministry that God has given to him. So with that in view, let's read Romans chapter 15 from verse 14. And I'm reading from the NIV. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly at some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building in someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. 
This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Verse 23, Paul says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the saints there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So what Paul is doing here in laying out the reasons uh, why they should get behind his ministry and support him is, by, is to explain exactly the importance of the ministry that he has been given. He, he wants to stress just how important this ministry is and to get their support, not because he is in any way selfish, but because he realises that he's serving a much greater master. He's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the work of the gospel. And so he explains, first of all, the greatness of the task he's been given. And that's what he do, does in verses 14 through to 22 of chapter 15. He explains the greatness of his ministry. And then in verses 23 to 29, he talks about the importance of supporting such gospel work in practical ways. He talks about the gift that he's taking to Jerusalem. He talks about how he's going to be going to Spain and how you'll need their support in Rome as he travels through Rome to get to Spain. And then finally, in verses 33 to 33, Paul shows that another way in which they can get behind him, not only materially, but through prayer. He needs their prayerful support. And this is one way in which they can actually participate in the work that he's involved in. And so the main point in all of these verses is to drum up support for his work so that the Roman Christians would be encouraged and eager to support the work of the gospel. So then, we look first of all at this first section, 14 through to 22, where Paul explains the importance of the ministry that has been given to him by God. And he begins in verses 14 and 15 by commending them. And he says that he's written to them very strongly to try and hammer home certain points that he's been doing throughout the book of Romans. Uh, but this isn't because there's any deficiency in the Romans. It's not because they're not spiritually mature. He is assured that they're full of goodness and spiritual maturity. He's just writing so that he can remind them of certain things to keep them on the right tracks. The question then comes, where does Paul get this authority from? And this is what Paul then goes on to explain. He explains that he's written to them because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting, this language of ministering and ministry that he uses here, 
It's not the normal language for serving or the normal language for ministry. It's specifically the language of priestly service. Because for Paul, what he has been doing, what he is doing, is a sacred priestly duty in spreading the gospel of God and bringing the Gentiles to faith. But of course, he's not a priest in the Old Testament sense. Uh, Paul isn't a priest standing in the temple offering animal sacrifices as a, as a gift to God to express uh, adoration and worship to God. No, what Paul is doing is he's going about and he is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles so that he can gather the Gentiles in and present them to God as a gift to God for his uh, honour and what God actually deserves. And a lot of the language that Paul uses here is rich in Old Testament delusions. Perhaps Paul is alluding to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66 thinks of a coming day from Isaiah's perspective. And the Lord says in 66 verse 18, I will gather the people of all nations and languages and they will come and see my glory. That's exactly what Paul's been doing. He's been gathering people from all nations to show them the glory of the Lord God. Then later in chapter 66 of Isaiah, God says that he will send preachers who will proclaim my glory among the nations and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. Now what Paul is doing here is he's bringing the Gentiles as an offering to the Lord God and to present them to God. You see, as Paul preaches the gospel and sees people one to Jesus Christ, he sees this as what the Lord Jesus Christ deserves. The Lord Jesus Christ has done a mighty work and he deserves the offering of people's lives. He deserves that people present themselves as living sacrifices. But what Paul is doing is he sees himself as gathering the Gentiles and presenting them to God as a holy, a sanctified offering. And Paul, he's very proud of this ministry, rightly proud. Of course, there's different ways of being proud. Some proud. Sometimes we can be proud of ourselves in a boastful way, in a way which is wrong, quite frankly, because it makes much of ourselves and who we are and what we have done. That's wrong, and the Bible's consistent about that. But what Paul is proud of what here, proud of here, what he boasts in here, what he glories in here, is what God has accomplished. Through him, he says in verse 17 that he glories in Christ Jesus for the service that he's been appointed to. All that he's done, signs and wonders, words and deeds, all of that has been accomplished, he says in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. This isn't because he's great, it's because God is great and it has been using him, small and insignificant though he may be. And as he's been doing it, he's rejoicing in the fact that he's carrying out the fulfilment of Old Testament scripture. We already saw that he may be alluding to Isaiah 66, but he then quotes more explicitly from Isaiah chapter 52. And I've already read from that this morning, that wonderful passage where Isaiah speaks about um, people hearing the gospel and coming to the one who's been rejected, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, it's helpful to see the context here. Isaiah writes, uh, speaking the words of the Lord, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. And then the verse that Paul quotes, For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. 
to Isaiah, he clearly sees people going to the kings, the great people of the world, telling them about the one who was despised and rejected, and those who had not heard will hear and understand. Those who had not seen God's glory will see it. And so what Paul is doing, he's fulfilling these words. He's going to the nations, he's going to the, the kings of the earth, he's telling them about the one who was despised and rejected, and thus fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. And so Paul, he's rightly, rightly proud of this ministry. He, he boasts and he glories in this ministry because what is taking place here is nothing ordinary. What is taking place here is the fulfillment of Scripture. It is part of God's redemptive plan by which human beings are coming to know about what God has accomplished. So Paul's ministry, this duty to God that he has, is massively important. He wants the Romans to see it so that they will get behind him, so that they will appreciate what he said to them and take it seriously, and so that they will get behind his gospel efforts and support him practically and support him prayerfully as well. And, and so he, the reason why he emphasises the importance of this role is because it would be possible to look at Paul and think about him as somebody that's just completely insignificant, uh, to just despise him as, as a nobody, after all, in the grand scheme of things, Paul wasn't very important. He was a first century Jew, itinerant evangelist, going around different parts of the, of the area, of the Roman Empire, preaching this gospel. And it would be possible to look at him and despise him, think nothing of him, and judge purely by outward appearances and say that he's nobody. And yet that would be, that would be to fail to perceive the important task that God had given him to proclaim the gospel and to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, we've got this tendency, don't we, to look at outward appearances too when we're evaluating people and we think about their significance and God's purposes. That's what we think about oftentimes when we think about Samuel going to anoint the next king after Saul was rejected. Saul, of course, had been rejected by God because of his disobedience. And then Samuel had sent in 1 Samuel 16 to go and and anoint the next king and so he goes to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse and Jesse brings out all his sons and the first son comes along he's a fine strapping man and Samuel thinks to himself surely this is the Lord's anointed and the Lord speaks to Samuel and says the Lord does not look at the things people look at people look at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart and if Samuel had been merely looking at outward appearances, he would have anointed their own king. But then eventually, along comes David, this little shepherd boy that everyone had forgotten about, the youngest in the family. And, and everybody's thinking, well, surely this isn't the one that God has chosen to rescue Israel, but it is. And God chooses the weak and despised things of the world to confound the strong and the wise. And it's the same for Paul. It'd be possible to look at him and despise him as a nobody. Think about you know, what he's doing. He's just... Just a nobody traveling through the Roman Empire, trying to trying to drum up people to his message. But no, actually what Paul's doing is massively significant in God's purposes in redemption. And just as God had worked through the suffering and, and rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, so also God was working through Paul, a suffering and despised servant. And as we think about it today, the same temptation confronts us. Both in relation to Paul and in relation to other gospel ministry as well. So we look at somebody like Paul. And, you know, many people would look at us in the world today and, and scorn us and say, you are banking your whole life on the teaching of a first century rabbi. Do you really think that's sensible? 
Because to all appearances, it seems a little bit ludicrous. There's been a lot of important people and very careful thinkers down through the past 2,000 years, and yet we build so much on what Paul said. And yet, what Paul says is that he was appointed to this ministry by God himself as the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, so that when we hear Paul speaking to us in this book of Romans, we hear God speaking to us. And so, through a humble vessel, we hear the voice of God himself. But beyond that, there is the important lesson about thinking about gospel ministry in the world today. Very often, the most significant ministries aren't those that attract the most people, that attract the most funding, that fill the auditoriums and that are full of glamour and success. Sometimes it's, it's tempted to be attracted to such people, but very often the work of the gospel is advanced through people in unknown quarters of the world who are labouring quietly without critical acclaim. And outwardly their work seems small and insignificant, and yet God is working significantly through them to accomplish his purposes. And that's what Paul was doing, working in despised and insignificant ways and yet communicating the gospel of God. He was fulfilling the priestly duty that God had given to him to bring the Gentiles as an offering to God. So let's not get so entrenched in the world's way of thinking that we despise the outwardly insignificant and this what God is actually accomplishing through his faithful servants. So that's what Paul does first of all in these verses 14 and 22, but then having explained the importance of his ministry, he proceeds to encourage the believers at Rome to support his ministry in practical ways. And so he explains to them that he's going to be coming to Rome and he wants their assistance as he goes through Rome itself. He's going to Spain um, and he's going to preach the gospel there and so he wants their support as he goes there. But he also mentions the fact that before he can come to Rome, he's engaged in another work of material ministry, and that's taking aid to the believers, the poor believers that were in Jerusalem. And so he's stressing to them just how important it is to actually practically support the work of the gospel. And when we do that, then we actually visibly demonstrate the unity that we have in the body of Christ, that we are one people of God, that we are bound together. And specifically, as he goes to Jerusalem, he wants to emphasize and visibly display the, display the unity between Jews and Gentiles, because the Gentiles, they're giving up, the, the believers from Macedonia and Achaia, they're giving up lots of money because they've heard about the poverty of the saints in Jerusalem, and they dug deep, and they asked Paul to take this to the saints in Jerusalem as a means of showing to them just how much they cared about them, and how they were one body working together. And Paul says that this is quite right, because he says that um, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in the material blessings. And so what's happening is that by working together, they're demonstrating through a visible means that they are one body working together and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says after he's been to Jerusalem, he wants to come to Rome and he wants um, to head on to Spain and after that to preach the gospel. Perhaps he's hoping then that in Rome he will get supplies, whether that's money, whether that's resources, or whether that's helpers that will help him in, in translation or in preaching, whatever it is, he's hoping that they'll be able to support him in some way. And, and so whatever it is that will happen when he gets to Rome, he says that he's convinced that he will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That is, when he comes, uh, he will enjoy blessing from them, and they will enjoy blessing 
from him and together they will be mutually encouraged as he's already explained in chapter one and so it's very important therefore to take notice of the importance of practically supporting the work of the gospel he's, he stressed the importance of the gospel and his gospel ministry now he's stressing the importance of practically supporting them because oftentimes it's very easy for us to talk about the importance of things and not to put our money where our mouth is so to speak and to actually feel to deliver on what we say is actually important. And we've seen that in recent days with regards to Ukraine, haven't we? In the UK, we like to think about ourselves as being people that are welcoming and open-hearted and generous and want to help the people that are suffering in Ukraine. And yet, many Ukrainians have made it to Calais, and that's been a dead end. They can't go any further. And the UK government, in, only in recent days, is starting to try and do something about that. Now, my point isn't about refugees. My point is simply more broadly. It's very easy for us to talk the talk and say how much we care about people, how the, how the gospel is our priority, and we want to see the gospel advance. But do we put our money where our mouth is? Do we actually show through our practical support of the gospel that we care about it? And so Paul's eager that we not only believe in the importance of the gospel, but we actually put it into practice. And he illustrates his point then by talking about the the generosity of the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia, who are donating to the work of the believers in Jerusalem. And so he says in verse 24 that he hopes the Roman believers will assist him as he travels onwards to Spain to preach the gospel there. And for ourselves, the same priority should hold true. We should be eager to support the gospel in practical ways, especially when we hear about believers that are suffering in various parts of the world that actually need support. In recent days, we've thought about believers in Ukraine and how much they need our support. But believers, too, in Russia are increasingly feeling the strain as they face sanctions of various kinds. And, and we should be united as believers across every part of the world in supporting believers, showing that we are one body working together for the sake of Jesus Christ. Same, too, with actual gospel preaching efforts. We want to support that wherever we find it going on. And that doesn't have to be flashy, massive efforts. That can be people laboring in ways that seem insignificant on the surface, but are actually faithful gospel efforts. And we need to put our money where our mouth is. And it's a testimony to how important we think the gospel is, and that we actually supply gospel work with the resources that it needs to go forward. You see, we cannot necessarily be in far-flung corners of the world. We cannot necessarily be preaching the gospel in other parts of the world, but we can support those who are. And it's important, therefore, that we believe that people need to hear the gospel to support people that are doing such things. But Paul isn't just interested in drumming up material support, as, he, as he's been doing in these verses. He needs prayerful support. He needs the prayers of the believers. And that's why he says in verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. See, Paul, he could have all the practical support in the world. He could have all the money in the world. Uh, he could have all the success in the world. But if he does not have the prayers of the Lord's people, then he would be at an absolute loss. Prayer, says Paul, is absolutely vital for the success of the gospel. 
And so he asks them to pray specifically for the things that he's previously just mentioned in his plans. Firstly, he's, he's talked about going to Jerusalem. He says, pray for me that I would be kept safe from the unbelievers there who would want to harm me. And specifically, he's thinking about Jews that don't believe in the Lord Jesus who really had it against Paul. He needs safety. And he asks the believers at Rome to pray for that. Then he says he wants prayer so this contribution to the believers at Jerusalem would actually be well received. Because of course, the Jerusalem believers, when they, when they see this money coming to them from the Gentiles, they could throw their heads up and say, well, that's from the Gentiles. We're not having anything to do with that. And it could all end up in, in, in rather bad ways. So he prays that, he, he asks for prayer that it would be well received. And it would be a demonstration of the unity of the body of believers. And thirdly, he wants prayer so that he will actually make it to Rome and from there be able to go on to Spain to preach the gospel. What's really interesting about these things um, that he asks the believers to pray for is that they don't always turn out the way that Paul actually expected them to turn out. He asks for these things, he's praying for these things, the believers of Rome pray for these things. It doesn't always work out exactly as he expected. He gets his prayers answered, but in quite unusual ways sometimes. Well, he arrives at Jerusalem with his gift. Acts 21, he arrives there, and he's warmly received by the Jerusalem leaders. And Acts 24, 17 says that that was the occasion when he actually brought this offering to the, the poor believers at Jerusalem. So by all accounts, that was well received. And so God answered that prayer providentially. But then things start to take a turn for the worse. Because when he's in Jerusalem, the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem suggest to him that he show his faithful uh, Jewish orthodoxy by going on to the temple, offering some sacrifices, and participating in the Jewish worship there, which was acceptable because he was a Jew after all. Nevertheless, when he turns up at the temple in Jerusalem, a number of people spot him and they're not too happy because they know the kind of person that Paul is. They know that he's been preaching about Jesus. And moreover, they have seen him in Jerusalem with some Gentiles and they start to think to themselves incorrectly that he's brought Gentiles into the temple at Jerusalem, which would have been a terribly um, irreverent and blasphemous thing to actually do. And so the second they see Paul in the temple at Jerusalem, they haul him outside, close the doors and start beating him to death. But providentially, God intervenes and manages to save because the Roman commander in Jerusalem hears what's going on, he rushes down and manages to stop the lynching from taking place. Um, so that prayer gets answered providentially. Paul is rescued from the hands of the unbelievers in Jerusalem, but not at all in the way he expected. Things didn't go smoothly for him. So he's got, he's got arrested, uh, and under arrest he imagines perhaps that he will soon be released. Uh, that he will be released without a charge. After all, he hasn't done anything wrong, even by Jewish standards. Nevertheless, um, the Roman authorities don't quite know what to do with him, and to keep the peace, they keep him uh, in prison, and he just languishes there for a long period of time until eventually he thinks, the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I start to um, exercise my legal right to appeal to Caesar, and that's what he does. He appeals to Caesar. And so providentially, what has to happen then is he has to dispatched to Rome. And so eventually he makes his way to Rome under guard and is placed in uh, imprisonment, house, house arrest in Rome. So he gets to Rome, but not at all the way in which he expected. 
And yes, he's able to preach in Rome while he's under house arrest, and he's able to meet with the believers there, but it's not at all the way he expected. And that's often the way God answers prayers, isn't it? But my point isn't to dwell on the unanticipated ways in which God answers our prayers, but just to emphasise the critical importance of prayer in gospel ministry. Because Paul wants the believers to join with him, to strive together with him, to struggle, to labour together with him in prayer to God on his behalf. So for Paul, there's no sense in which prayer is a poor option. As if, you know, I've done everything else I can do, so now I'm going to pray about it and hopefully that'll pull me through. No, for Paul, prayer is the thing that has to undergird everything that we do. Prayer is a vital part and parcel of gospel ministry. He can't do his work unless people are praying for him. And yet how often we neglect the importance of prayer. I know that in work sometimes I'll come across various difficulties. Sometimes I'll be faced with a task of doing something. And I just don't know how to do it. And I'll, I'll work for days, I'll, I'll struggle with it for weeks, I'll procrastinate over it until somebody says to me, like, why don't you just go and talk to so-and-so and see if they can help you? And I go and talk to somebody. And Julie, within a few hours, they've everything sorted for me. They've filled out the, the right forms, they've completed the correct processes for me. And I wonder to myself, well, why didn't I just ask them in the first place? And that's very much the case when it comes to prayer as well. We have a God who is unlimited in power, a God who is unlimited in wisdom, and a God who is unlimited in his love towards us as well. And very often we go about life carrying burdens of one kind or another, worrying about the advance of the gospel. And why don't we just ask God for his help? Why don't we just ask God to help us in what we do? And for Paul, then, he knows that he needs God's help on his behalf. He needs people praying for him. Uh, and we need to pray on behalf of those that work in gospel. And so when we think about gospel work and really vital importance, when we think about the importance of practically supporting it, we must also remember that a vital part of supporting gospel ministry is prayer. It, it cannot be ignored. And the remarkable thing about prayer is that it doesn't require us to be in another country doesn't require us to be at the cold face of evangelism. It doesn't require us to be gifted communicators, winsome in our ways of telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ, as good as all of those things are. All that it requires is that we actually come before God in prayer. And by doing so, we are part and parcel of gospel work. We are laboring together with those that work in the gospel. So when we hear about the work of God in Malawi, as we have recently and as, as we will be hearing more of when Jim comes back pray for that work, that's part of what it means to be involved in it to, to struggle in it to pray for it or when we hear about the work of God in Ukraine and the difficulties of the believers there how do we take part in it? We pray yes we administer practical support but we pray, that's how we help believers, it's part and parcel of what it means to support the work of God so Paul then in these verses, he communicates to us the vital importance of recognising gospel ministry for what it is. It's vitally important, it might seem insignificant, but Paul is involved in the priestly duty of bringing the Gentiles as an offering to God as they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And we need to support such gospel work in our own day, practically. 
to actually see to it that we help those that are carrying out work and bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to support it prayerfully. Because without prayer, we can't accomplish anything of significance. And then Paul concludes by offering a prayer for those to whom he's writing. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. And as we strive together for the gospel, practically and prayerfully, the one thing that we need is the presence of God himself. And as the God of peace makes his dwelling amongst us, not only do we know God's peace in our midst, as we experience the joy of reconciliation with him, but we experience peace with one another too. And people from all different backgrounds work together to advance the cause of the gospel and bring glory to God. Well, may then the God of peace make his presence amongst us as we seek to do these things for his glory. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you have brought us Gentiles to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ministry entrusted to people like Paul, who took the gospel to the Gentiles so that we might be presented to you as an offering, as something that the Lord Jesus Christ deserves because of his great work. We pray, Father, that as we Gentiles serve together in one body for the sake of the gospel, that we would practically and prayerfully support others who are part of this family of believers, and especially those that labour in the work of the gospel, so that we would demonstrate just how sincere we are about the importance of this message, that we wouldn't just talk about it, but that we would actually put it into practice, practically support those in need, and prayerfully support them as well. And so we take this opportunity in prayer, especially for Jim and Stephen and Malawi as they seek to spread the gospel there, give them help, uh, and even through the disappointments that they've experienced in recent days, and with their transport, we pray that they would experience joy in knowing that they are accomplishing your work and that no matter through whatever setbacks they experience that you are fulfilling your purposes through them so grant that your work there will prosper and for the believers and all of the people of ukraine as well we pray for your blessing this morning bring this war to an end so that the believers there would be able to spread the gospel without fear or intimidation or physical violence that the gospel would thrive in that country in the midst of its sorrow and its bereavement. So we ask for these things in the name and for the honour of the Lord Jesus Christ.